read Matthew 21, verse 1. And we'll read all the verses together. Ready? And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem and were come to Bethphage unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. And this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, the king come unto me, meek and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the full of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt, and put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he was come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased, and said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus said unto them, Yea, have ye never read? Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise. And he left them and went out of the city into Bethany, and he lodged there. Now in the morning as he returned into the city, he hungered. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon, but leaves only, and said unto it, Let no fruit grow on thee henceforth forever. And, thy pres- and presently the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How soon is the fig tree withered away? Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, If ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. We'll stop there. Lord, I pray that you bless the reading of your word. Thank you so much for this opportunity to stand and preach and declare the truth. I thank you so much for um, this church. God, I pray that you would help us to, uh, to Lord, glean some truth out of, out of your word that applies to us specifically. I pray that you would help us as we uh, realize that in just a few days we're going to celebrate um, the resurrection. And I thank you so much for Jesus and, uh, Lord, his mission. Uh, as John says that, um, Lord... The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And, uh, Lord, you became one of us. And, uh, Lord, you experienced what we're experiencing. Um, And, God, I thank you so much for your 
uh, choice to save us. That, that was your um, act of love. We thank you for perfect love. And uh, Lord, I thank you so much for uh, just the, the church here. Help us to come together and have unity as we are studying your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Palm Sunday, and that is the celebration of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It is celebrated, normally, on the Sunday before Easter because it took place a week before the crucifixion and the resurrection. Palm Sunday um, is also a day to prepare for the celebration of Easter. The palm branches are a reminder of Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem as a king. Palm Sunday is a day when we celebrate our Savior, more specifically, a day to reflect on his ultimate sacrifice. The same crowd, as I mentioned earlier, we heard about earlier, the same crowd that, that welcomed him was the same crowd, many of which, that rejected him. Today we see, number one, the hope of the Messiah. The first century Jews in the region of Judea, or modern-day Israel, uh, were living under Roman occupation. They were looking for a Messiah, a deliverer, someone uh, who would save them from Roman oppression. The Messiah was seen as a future king who would bring peace and would usher in the golden age of prosperity. See, they were looking for a man to deliver them from oppression. He was going to end the war. He would rebuild the temple. The Jews were hoping for deliverance, and uh, this passage highlights that. Uh, the people in Jerusalem, there had been waiting, and as Jesus came in uh, to Jerusalem, they were leaping and dancing. As we read there, they were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, uh, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the son of David. See, they, they were accepting him as their Messiah because they saw him as a human deliverer from a human problem the Roman occupation, and other things. The word Hosanna is transliterated. It comes from a Hebrew word. It actually is similar to the Hebrew word. It's transliterated. It literally means save, we pray. Save, we pray, is near kin to another name that we find in the Bible, the name Hosea, which means salvation. The prophet Hosea's name means salvation. And so they were literally saying, Savior, Savior. When Jesus entered the city riding on a donkey, the people believed that he was the promised deliverer from the Romans. Savior, Savior, deliver us, bring peace to our people. We know that Jesus did indeed come to bring peace, amen? He came to bring deliverance, but it was not from a political enemy or from a government, he came to bring spiritual deliverance, freeing people from death. Many people today are looking for deliverance from their problems, aren't they? And that's something that uh, you'll find even in churches is really uh, pushed. 
deliverance. There's a whole deliverance movement right now that's become very popular. Uh, saying that health problems, you know, it, it, it kind of sounds, when you hear these preachers, it sounds a lot like the old snake oil salesmen, you know, and the old uh, uh, quack doctors that would travel the country many, many years ago. But they, they are now popular. They're on social media, and they have this whole deliverance movement where if you have um, uh, some kind of physical problem, oh, it's just a spiritual issue, it's demonic oppression, de- demonic depression, demonic uh, possession, and we're going to deliver you from that. And that's not to say that some things might just be that. But I'm going to tell you right now that that's not what God is focused on. He's focused on saving the soul. And when we give him our soul, then he can do a work on the other things. And by the way, it may not be God's will for everyone to be healed from a disease. And um, we see that people are looking for that deliverance. They don't want to have their problems anymore. They want to give up their problems. And just here in our city, people are uh, falling victim to the rising crime and all the violence. People are caught up in the welfare cycle. They can't get their head above water financially. Because they can't work or they don't want to work or maybe uh, any number of other reasons. Homelessness, it honestly, is not as bad here as it is in some other places I've been. Los Angeles, San Francisco, Washington, D.C. I was there recently. Homelessness, you see all the tents and everything. Um, here, because of our climate, it's not as easy to be homeless. Um, but many times people will go where it's warmer. When I lived in Texas, there were a lot of homeless people down there. But it's still here, isn't it? People are bound and they are caught up in that life. They can't do anything about it. Maybe they've got some other problems that are contributing to their homelessness. And that's definitely not a judgment against them. Some of you may have been in that place at some point in your life. And... Um, but yet people are caught up in problems and they want deliverance. Uh, alcohol, booze, drugs, it's everywhere. Um, because of fentanyl and other synthetic opioids, overdoses are on the rise. And people are looking for deliverance. They're looking for hope. They're looking for a Messiah. But sadly, the world looks to man. To solve their problems. They're looking for the government or a doctor or maybe a scientist who's going to solve the problems. Some of you know this, but the last two weeks I've been going through the Milwaukee Police Academy. This is past Wednesday after doing training in uh, extensive training in CPR and AED use as well as first aid. A whole day basically was given to learning how to administer a drug called Narcan to help somebody that maybe is in an overdose situation where they're not breathing. And praise the Lord for something that can reverse uh, that horrible, horrible thing. To be, to be overdosing. Could you imagine not being able to help somebody? Praise God for, for that drug that can reverse the effects. But that's ultimately not going to solve all of our problems, is it? See, we're looking for deliverance, but every deliverance option that man has is a temporary solution. 
And so somehow we're looking to man to fix the problem and they haven't and they will not and they cannot fix the problem. The more time, effort, and money that people exert, it seems that the problems have gotten worse. And so we know the answer, but we have to get the solution and the answer to the people that need it. The reason the problems have gotten worse is because man is trying to deliver man out of his problems without the answer. And the answer is Christ. The message of the triumphal entry can bring hope to a city and to a community by reminding people that there is a power greater than political power and social power, uh, any kind of education or any system or any form type of government. There is hope for liberation from bondage. And it is a spiritual hope. And see, when Jesus stood there in, in, uh, judge, in his, his courtroom, when he was being sentenced to, to death on the cross, they said, are you the king of the Jews? He said, my kingdom is not of this world. See, he didn't come to be a physical deliverer. He came to be a spiritual deliverer first. Because that's our biggest problem. Every person that Jesus healed, and I'm, I'm thankful for the stories of miraculous healings and even the time that he resurrected people from the dead. But every one of those instances, do you know what eventually happened to the person who was healed from their disease or was raised from the dead? Eventually they succumbed again to a disease or to death. Because physical deliverance is temporary deliverance without Christ. We praise God for the fact that if you are in Christ, if you're saved, and I hope that you know Jesus as your personal Savior because there's nothing you can do to earn it. All you have to do is receive it. So I hope you've just taken that free gift of salvation that God has given to all men if you would just receive it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever, whosoever believeth in him should not perish And that's not talking specifically about physical perishing and death. That's talking about a spiritual death. You don't have to face eternal death. You can receive salvation. If you receive the free gift, you don't have to perish, but you have eternal life. And I hope you've done that. But if you have done that, praise God, you are now saved from the the power of sin. And someday I look forward to being saved from the presence of sin when we'll have a new physical or a new body, a new glorified body, okay? We'll be freed from the physical body that is so susceptible to all of the problems that I've talked about. See, man is focused on let's, let's deal with the physical needs because that's what man focuses on. But God says, no, your first problem is spiritual, so let's save your spirit. Let's, let's give life to you. Let's breathe life into your dead spirit. But man says, ah, that's not important. I don't care about that. 
I'm only focused on what I can see and what I can feel. But if you don't deal with your biggest problem, then you will suffer for eternity. So God says focus on your spiritual need first. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to deliver us from a spiritual problem, our biggest need. And so we have that hope of the Messiah. But secondly, we have the hope of a resurrection. Jesus came to Jerusalem to bring spiritual deliverance. And he would do this not by entering the king's palace and taking his rightful place on the throne of David. Rather, he took our rightful place on the cross of Calvary. He didn't come to take what was his rightfully. He came to give us what we didn't deserve. Amen? He took our place where we belong we belong on that cross we should have paid for our sins but we can't pay for our sin and go to heaven okay because if we try to pay for our sins guess what we will be paying for them for all of eternity in hell that's where we deserve to go and so jesus said no i'm gonna take your place and I'm going to die on the cross. And that's what he came to do, a spiritual deliverer. And uh, he took our place. He died for you. He died for me. But three days later, he rose from the grave. And we have that hope of the resurrection. When Jesus entered the city, the people cried out for him to heal them. We read that, uh, that they wanted to be healed. And uh, he, he did heal them. We see that in verse 14. The blind and the lame came to him. Uh, the blind and the lame, those that could not walk, they were crippled. And they came to him in the temple, and he healed them. I want to just say very quickly this morning that Jesus cares about our physical need. Don't you like that song, Does Jesus Care? And that's a great song. And I love the chorus. Oh, yes, he cares. Jesus cares about you and he cares about your spiritual need, which he came to save you, but he also cares about your physical needs too. Uh, Luke chapter 12, verse 7. But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. How many of you know how many hairs are on the top of your head? And some of you do know, okay? But most do not know. But God has a record. He, and, and the point of this is to explain to all of us that even the most insignificant and mundane details, which probably for some are like, that's not very insignificant to me because I'm losing hair and I, you know, that's important. But you might be saying, well, you know, how many? I don't know. But God cares enough about you and he knows you so well because not only did he, does he love you, he created you. He, he knows everything about you. So Luke is saying even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Well, who's keeping track of that? Not even the IRS can keep track of how many hairs are on the top of your head. He says, fear not. And whenever the Bible, whenever you read the two words, fear not, that's a, that's a blessing, that's an encouragement. Fear not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. I mean, he didn't even just say one sparrow. He said many sparrows. Some of you love those birds, don't you? You love, you love creation. You love uh, the squirrels. You love the I don't love the squirrels. I'm sorry, I'll be honest with you. I'm sure they serve a purpose. But you love 
the, you love all kinds of aspects of our creation. I was going to say fish, and some people love to fish, uh, but some people love to hunt and do all of those things. But um, as God's crowning creation, we're more important than all of those things, even your dog, which some people might say, well, dogs and cats are more important than people, and you enjoy them more, maybe. But the truth of the matter is, you are more important than any animal or any other aspect of God's creation. And he says, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Some of you know the song, his eye is on the sparrow, right? Why should I feel discouraged? It's a, it's a legitimate question. When we know what God says, why should I feel discouraged? Sometimes you might say, Pastor, I can't help my feelings. And that, that might be true. But you can, you can tell yourself the truth. Remind yourself of the truth that you are of more value than many sparrows. You are of utmost importance to God. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home when Jesus is my portion? My constant friend is he, his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. Can you imagine that little bird? Do sparrows sing? I really don't know. But I know that birds like to sing, and they like to um, make a lot of noise, and sometimes right outside your window when you're trying to sleep in the morning in the summer. And they make all kinds of noise, but they're, they, they, they exude joy, if you would. They, they have, they have an element, they have a, a part of them that just is joyful. And you might say, well, they're just communicating. Well, it sounds joyful to me. And they seem happy to me. And I think about that sparrow, uh, and we should take a lesson from the sparrow or the bird that is singing, and we should do as that chorus says there, I sing because I'm happy, I sing because I'm free, because of our salvation in Christ. We have, we have freedom, uh, for his eye is on the sparrow. We're free from the power of sin. We're free from the penalty of sin, praise God. We are free from the worry and the care. You might be saying, well, pastor, I don't feel free from that, but you are positionally free from all of those things. There's no real reason for us to worry. Why should I feel discouraged? Because I'm free. I'm free from all of that. That's, that second, I think it might be actually the third verse. Whenever I am tempted, whenever clouds arise, when song gives place to sighing. And there's times where we do give in and we say, wow, I, my, my heart is overcome with the pressure and with the hurt, and with the care, and with the sorrow, and with the loneliness. And we're tempted to let our song give place to sighing. When hope within me dies, I draw the closer to him. And that's the answer, my friend. That is the solution to that problem. Draw close to the Lord. From care he sets me free. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. I believe that Jesus is still in the 
healing business. And he's in the restoration business. And he is in the deliverance business. God wants to heal us from our greatest problem, though, our greatest disease. See, we focus too much on the physical problems. That's why we're not, you know, we don't have that peace and joy in our life. Because we think that, well, if I go to church, then I'm going to be prosperous. If I go to Jesus, he'll make me happy. Well, he does, but it's not in the way that maybe you think you want to be happy. Say, so if, if I had just this in my life, if I had uh, more income, or if I ha- had a, a, a little better situation here, then I wouldn't worry so much. But you go talk to somebody that w- wins the lottery. They won the Powerball. Guess what? They wish for their old life back. Isn't that sad? We think that we're going to find peace, happiness, fulfillment in more, but you realize that more things equal more problems. See, Jesus came to deliver us from that. And we have to focus on our greatest need, and that that need is spiritual. Uh, He is into that healing business. He wants to heal us from our, our spiritual disease he wants to restore us into a right relationship with our heavenly if we could say as a believer now our heavenly father see he wants to restore us see god put my marriage back together well god can do that but he wants you to be restored in the most important relationship and that is with your creator that is what his focus is on Uh, But I believe that he is still doing that today. We are seeing people come to Christ and praise God. There's nothing uh, really more satisfying than seeing somebody go from darkness to light. And when they get saved out of that old uh, life of despair and they've, uh, they've been saved, that's their greatest need. Jesus rose from the grave to meet our soul's greatest need. When Jesus comes to your home, he can heal broken relationships. Praise God for that. When Jesus comes to your, uh, your um, job, he can bring spiritual healing to your unsaved boss and your unsaved coworkers. See, we just, oh, I just want peace. We need peace in the world, but we're not going to find peace in those relationships until people come to Jesus. See, and, and so... That's why Jesus came to Jerusalem to begin that walk up the hill of Calvary so that he could bring true spiritual deliverance. When Jesus comes to your city, he can heal your community. He can heal the homes in this city. He cares about physical needs. Yes, he healed plenty of sick people. He has the power to do it. You might say, well, if Jesus can heal all the sick people, then why wouldn't he just heal all the people that are in the hospital? That's the question I have for Benny Hinn, by the way. But um, first of all, nobody is healed by God unless God receives the glory. 
Also, don't forget that all the sick people, as I said earlier, all of those sick people eventually died. Uh, Physical healing is temporary. Jesus wants us to know him as the source of life, both in this world, but more importantly, in the next world. Amen? John 11, if you would go there, and we'll uh, put a footnote here. John chapter 11, and this is a great story in the Bible, and I could preach a whole sermon. I know I've preached probably at least a sermon or two on this, uh, and I've, I've studied this passage. This is a great, great story. There are many different groups of people that were observing this unfold, but we're going to kind of focus on one person a little bit. John 11, verse 17, we see the death of Lazarus. We see that Jesus declares that he's the resurrection and the life. Verse 17, we'll start there. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Who? Lazarus. Lazarus, Jesus' close friend. The, the, the sisters of Lazarus, we know of Mary and Martha, so this family in Bethany, he was close to them. In fact, he went and visited them uh, in the story that we just read about in Matthew. But in Luke here, uh, I'm sorry, John chapter 11, verse 17, Jesus came. He found that Lazarus had been in the grave uh, four days. He was dead. Uh, in, in, in Jewish culture, when somebody died, they believed that the soul of that person would walk around the body for three days. If they were dead for more than three days, there was no coming back. That person was dead. And we see here in verse number 18, now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, was near, it was about 15 furlongs, and many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them. Concerning their brother, something that you would normally do at a funeral. You go there to bring comfort to the family. Verse 19 and uh, 20, then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, she went and, and she met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. She believed in the power of healing. You know, Jesus could heal people. But he's dead. He's been dead for four days. But if he had gotten here before, maybe you could have healed him. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask God, God will give it to thee. And Jesus said unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And the message here is actually far deeper than any kind of physical resurrection or healing. This is the Savior of the world. This is the one who will save us from our soul's greatest disease need. And that is to be spiritually restored into a right relationship with God. And he says, I am the resurrection. I am the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, not physically, spiritually, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never 
die. Unless you had a question about what kind of death, this is a spiritual death, you will be given eternal life because Jesus has that kind of power. Believest thou this? Here's the gospel. Do you believe it, Martha? She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And we see there that Jesus wept. Of course, the whole story unfolds here. But I want to remind you that Jesus gives us the hope of resurrection. Not, I understand we have loved ones. Boy, wouldn't it be wonderful to be able to communicate again and to talk to those people and to have that relationship again here on this earth. And that will not happen. That will not happen. That is not God's will. He took them. But God's will is for, for you to go to heaven. And if your relative believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and they're in heaven, someday we will see them again. And that relationship will be so wonderful. But only Jesus can give us the hope of that resurrection. Someday the graves will open. When Jesus comes back, we know that those that are dead in Christ, those that have died saved from their sins, they're in the grave. But the Bible says that they get to go to heaven first. Their body goes to heaven before our body goes to heaven. Amen? And uh, we see that uh, God gives us that hope. Jesus gives that hope through the resurrection that he cares about our physical needs. He cares about, uh, you know, he cared for Martha. He wept over this uh, situation. He felt that pain of loss. His friend had died and he experienced, although of course he could and he did raise him from the grave, but I believe that he really felt what it is for us to feel the loss of someone that we love. He cares. He cares for us. But more importantly than any kind of physical separation, he wants to help us with the greatest need, and that is spiritual separation. Number three today, the hope of the new kingdom. The triumphal entry just demonstrated Jesus' kingship as he rode into the city on a donkey. He fulfilled the prophecy of Zechariah 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation. Lowly. Lowly. That's a key word. Lowly. And riding upon an ass and upon the colt of a foal of an ass. 2,000 years ago, Jesus was not riding into Jerusalem as an earthly king. He came into Jerusalem as a heavenly king. And the fact is that, as we discussed earlier in John 1, verse 14, the Gospel of John, that the word Jesus became flesh. He became like us. We know that he, he experienced temptation. He felt the loss and uh, a loss of friends and he saw people die. He was at funerals. He experienced the pain that we experienced, hunger, all of those things. And he partook in all of that. And he came humbly. He lowered himself. He condescended down to our level because he loves us. And he came into Jerusalem in humility. He was born in a manger. He didn't live 
uh, an opulent lifestyle. He was not the affluent and the rich. He was not uh, living in some palace. He came and experienced what the lowliest of lowly people would go through. And here he comes into Jerusalem in humility, lowly, lowly. He came not as an earthly king to receive uh, some reward here on earth to amass wealth. He had all of that and more. (laughs) That's not the point. He came because we were in need. He did what was needed for us to be saved. The use of a donkey instead of maybe a horse or a chariot, which a king would ride in, that symbolizes humility. A donkey was considered a humble and a humble means of transportation. It was used by the common people. Jesus left the ivory palaces of heaven to come to this world of woe, as the old song goes. One of his great uh, only his great eternal love made my Savior go. I don't know if you know that song. It's pretty old. We don't sing it, but I I knew of the song. Out of the ivory palaces, Jesus came to a world of woe. Jesus came through that gate in Jerusalem uh, the first time as that suffering servant. He knew why he was coming, and they, here they are. Savior, Savior, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Oh, uh, here is the son of David, the future reigning king who will deliver us from bondage, who will deliver us from the Roman rulers, and he is going to save us from oppression. And here Jesus is coming in and knowing what he's going to do and realizing that these people are going to turn their back on him as soon as they realize that he is going to lay down his life and he's going to die the death of a murderer or a thief. Not the kind of revolutionary leader that they were looking for. But he did what he had come to do. But someday... Jesus will ride through the gate of Jerusalem again. This time, he will come as a conquering king. He came the first time as a lamb, and in the, the next time, he will come as a lion. There is coming another kingdom. And so the message of the triumphal entry can bring hope to our city when we realize that, hey, we have a Savior. (laughs) We have the solution to the problem. We have the power over uh, the drug problem. We have the power over the crime problem. We have the power over the hate problem and the racism and all these other things that the world is trying to fix right now that they cannot fix. Praise God. Jesus is the only solution. He is the only one that can unify people, truly unify people. But you have to come to Jesus. You cannot just tack him on like so many people do. Oh yeah, we got, and and we got Jesus too. Uh -uh Uh-uh. He is the only solution. He is the only solution. Is your heart right with the Lord? 
Are you saved from your sin? There is hope, but you have to come to Jesus. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'd ask if you would stand to your feet with me this morning. This world is not our home. Don't get too comfortable. Someday, someday, you can be saved from the presence of this bondage of sin. Praise God for that. But first, you have to be saved from the power of sin and from the penalty of sin. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, You've been maybe, well, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, but you've been tacking him on. You've been just saying, well, I've got that too. But of course you have to work and you've got to do your best. But that's actually not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is that all have sinned and that we have no power over sin apart from Jesus. And those that are trying to, uh, they're trying to reform. They're trying to do a better job. They, they realize. Many people say, well, I know, that I, I, I know that I've got this problem, so I've got to do something to fix the problem. May we follow Christ's example of humility to realize that we have to come to Christ in Humility, just as we are, nothing in our hands, nothing to add, not baptism, not church, nothing. We come to him and we say, Jesus, I am a sinner. It takes a lot of Humility to swallow that pride and to admit we are a sinner. And we come to the only one that can save us. It's Jesus, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me of my sin. We believe in Jesus as the only Savior. And he's not just the, Christ, the Savior of the Christian He's the only Savior in this world. So, if you want to be counseled in this, maybe there's some probably that are saying, you know what, I just need to get saved. I know, it's, I, I know what the problem is. You come to Jesus, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. It's a very, very simple uh, spiritual uh, truth. But maybe you say, I, I just need some counseling. I, I want to talk to somebody. I've got some questions about that. That is fine but we want you to come and talk to somebody. And from the word of God, somebody here can show you how you can be forgiven, saved from your sin, and it's your choice. See, God has given us a free will. We have to choose to be saved. He wants us to be saved, but it's our choice. 
And so if that's you today, you want to get saved by God's grace. You walk out of uh, the place that you're standing. You step out from uh, your pew. You come down this aisle to the front. You talk to uh, one of the people that are here ready with a Bible to counsel you in the word of God. If you're a lady, a lady will talk to you. If you're a man, one of our men will talk to you. Maybe as a Christian, you're saying, well, boy, I'm depressed about what's going on in this world. Well, (laughs) it's very easy to be depressed, isn't it? But it's not the world I grew up in. It's not America that I grew up in. Well, we're focusing on really just the symptom of the greatest problem that's underneath. It's been there all along, and that is the heart of man. Why do people kill? Why 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 do we have so many problems? Well, we focus on (laughs) the tool that they're using, maybe a gun or a knife. Uh, No, it's the heart. The heart is desperately wicked. And the heart of man is no longer, the problems are no longer being covered up. They're on full display because man has tried and tried and tried, but they cannot solve the problem. And so you say, I'm depressed about that, Pastor. Well, I hope that we understand a little bit better this morning that the real solution is not going to be the government. It's not going to be more of this or that. It is Jesus. And so you today, you just say, Lord, help me to have have the right outlook and the right perspective. May I have hope. May I have uh, real peace in my life and joy. And maybe your your situation has caused you to despair. You say, Lord, give me back my joy. Give me back my joy. It's not turning a blind eye. That's not what the Bible tells us to do. We need to go out and we need to help people. But we got to see beyond the symptom and see beyond the, the exterior that is so repulsive many times and we, we don't want to see it. But may we have a heart of love, the heart of Jesus who came to the unlovely, who came to, to the people who didn't deserve anything. Well, we did deserve hell. And it was repulsive to a holy God. But he came to us anyways. May we bring that same hope to our community, to those that are around us. May God give us a soft heart for people. May that be your prayer today. Father, Lord, I pray that you bless this time of invitation. May there be many good decisions made this morning. I pray for the lost. I pray if there's somebody that's not saved. And Lord, I pray. I believe that you do bring people here that are not saved because this is a lighthouse and we reach, we try to reach our community. But Lord, I pray if there's somebody here that's not saved, that they would have a boldness, Lord, that you would move in their heart, that you would work in their heart today and and that they would find help and hope in this place. But ultimately, we are pointing them to Jesus. So Lord, help us as we counsel, help us as we teach and admonish and encourage. I pray for those that are are saved this morning, maybe discouraged, maybe a little bit um, jaded about some things that have gone on. Lord, help us to just restore to us the joy of our salvation, restore to us a heart of, a soft heart of love and uh, empathy and care, and that we would care enough to tell people about the solution. I pray that you bless this day, this invitation, all that is going to take place here. God, move in a mighty way. We need, this, is not, this is not time to play around, Lord. Help us. Help us, God. In Jesus' name, amen.